Hi, how are you? I'm Richie. And this is Chris. Welcome to Collect Me, a show and a podcast about collecting. Uh, I think today we have a great episode. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how you been this week? I've been good. Uh, the heat finally started Yeah. in uh, LA and coming out here to Palm Springs. But uh, I think uh, yesterday we were at a little about the mid-90s. What were you guys over here? We were hitting 118, 119 in some areas. So, yeah, the summers definitely hit us. Uh, can't complain too much, though, because our summer was not a regular summer this year. Uh, usually here in the desert, uh, Coachella Valley area, summer usually typically starts towards the end of May and definitely hits in June, July. This year, it's mid-July, and we're barely getting high temperatures. Well, I don't think anyone's doing as great as Patrick Mahomes. Uh, did you hear the contract he signed earlier this week? Yeah, I, I, me and I think about every sports fan, including Kansas City Chiefs fans, uh, are reading that article. Some $426 million plus uh, bonuses to equal, I think, $503 million total. Yeah, 10 years for about $503 million, so that'll sign him. It begins in 2022. Uh, it'll sign him through uh, his age 36. Yeah, but there's tips that uh, I was reading about. It, it isn't a full guaranteed 503. Right. Uh, he does have to, I believe, uh, win an MVP. Uh, he's going to have to take the Kansas City Chiefs back to an ASV championship game. Right. So it, it isn't an automatic payout the way some people think. Uh, he is going to have to reach certain stipulations in order to, to get a full grasp of the amount of money yeah but i mean is it a far reach i mean he is 24 he's been in the league two years his rookie season he led the league in touchdowns with 50 he came out of texas tech where he led the, i mean he threw over 5,000 yards his last year in texas tech yeah he threw over 5,000 yards his senior year 50 touchdowns went went to the afc championship and lost in overtime to the new new england patriots remember that was the yeah. that they had the snooze, the snooze bowl, which was between yeah, the Rams was, and the Patriots. Yeah, that was a boring Super Bowl. Well, they did not score any touchdowns. It was all on field goals. And then, uh, and then last year, and then this year, excuse me, beating the 49ers in the Super Bowl, which was second, which was a really good game. That was a great Super Bowl. I, I feel bad for 49er fans. Uh, you guys definitely deserve to win that game he if it would have been the other way around. He was Super Bowl MVP. Yes, Super Bowl MVP. You know what? I really don't think it's a far reach. I think that in today's market, sports-wise, the market money dictates that players, even mediocre players, just get paid now. It's, it's a changing of the guard as well as a changing of the times. Um, for example, my quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, the Chicago Bears. Yeah, because yeah, we did discuss I, this a little bit last week. I, I get that question all the time. Is yeah he going to get paid because the Bears didn't pick up his fifth option. And so now he has to compete with Nick Foles to see who's going to be the starting quarterback. But if he does get the job and he does get paid, he's going to be getting paid well over $100 million. A lot of people think he's not worth it, but they have to understand 
that that's just what the market dictates now. Quarterbacks, even the mediocre ones, are over $100 million. They don't get paid the million-dollar standard anymore. Yeah, well, I think, though, I think it's not so much the money. In this case, it's the longevity of the contract, and we're talking 10 years. So it's, it's pretty much his whole life almost as an NFL. Because let's just be honest. I mean, around the mid-30s, most quarterbacks just don't have a, you know, a, life, you know, a life or a career after that. Especially, yeah. you know... In the quarterback position, you know, it's especially so, mobile quarterbacks, yeah. and he could be very mobile. Yeah. So you know, so uh, the fact that they're they believe in him, and I think that they just want to tie him down for such a long time because the potential is there. I don't think I I I, I mean one Super Bowl. I see them going back during his life, maybe up to two or three Super Bowls. They Absolutely, not, they may not win all of them, but I see him already. Just he he's a leader, even in the game versus the New England Patriots where they lost. In the AFC Championship a couple of years ago, you know they scored twenty four points in the fourth quarter and tied the game. Yeah, I remember against that. the Patriots, and then they forced it into the overtime, and that's when you know they, they were able to the Patriots were able to. Now, score I'm sure that's a concern, especially over a ten year career with a mobile quarterback. Um, but there is also a clause in his in his contract. I think of one hundred twenty six million uh, covering him in case he does get injured. Um, but 10 years is a long time. But, I mean, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Not to say that they've never had anybody famous on their team. They absolutely have. But nobody like Patrick Mahomes. No, no, no. It's been a They're, long time. Kansas City Chiefs aren't like the uh, New York Giants, the Patriots, and a lot of these big market teams, the Raiders, Cowboys, who it's typical and normal for these guys to sign big contracts with players for extended amount of times. Kansas City Chiefs is a small market team. Um, so I totally think that they're doing what's in the best interest of their team by signing this guy. On top of the fact that um, not just his stats, but he's going to fill the stands every year. That's the face of their, uh, that's their new brand, in other words. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And he's going to be able to fill that stadium for years to come. And, and he's a good brand because, like I said, in two years, AFC Championship and a Super Bowl, MVP Super Bowl. So, you know, I wish him the best of luck. I know that he was, he went on uh, uh, talk show, The Drive, uh, 610 Sports Radio, and he said a lot of LeBron James and, and different people were calling, Drew Brees and people were calling him to congratulate him. You know, it's just every year, you know, every few years, you're going to have a new contract that sets new records. And, you know, yeah, good I for mean, him. I mean, it's, it's great. I, I, I'm know. sure a lot of people had this discussion with uh, Mike Trout when he got paid right. uh, a few years back. Yeah. Was it worth it? You know, especially a team like the Angels, because since he's gotten that contract, they really haven't been able to sign a whole lot of value to that team that can help them get out of the little funk that they've been in the last few years of not being able to, to make the playoffs. You know what I mean? Yep. So I have some good news and bad news. And what's that? Well, bad news is uh, Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con was canceled, as you could imagine, due to COVID-19, yeah. the COVID-19 pandemic. But they are going to be holding a virtual Comic-Con on July 23rd, which I believe is the same day as opening day for baseball. Yes, it is. It's going to be a one-day event. Uh, they're going to have panels on there as well. It is open to the public and free for everyone. Uh, typically, what's been happening the last few years for Comic-Con, if you want to go to Comic-Con, you have to now enter in a lottery. Yeah. You have to enter in a lottery, and it, it is big bucks. I mean... This is this is this is 
unprecedented for Comic-Con. It's always been in San Diego, as far as I know, and it's been around since 1970. That was yeah. the first year that Comic-Con was um, happened. It was in 1970. I think it was a one-day event in March, and then they were just kind of raised funds. I think the first event they had, only like 150 people showed up because it was a guy who originally had moved from Michigan, and he was into comic books growing up there, and then he moved to San Diego, and then he wanted to continue the tradition of having a convention for comics. And so then he raised some money through that first. And then they had another second San Diego Comic-Con that same year in August, which became the traditional Comic-Con today yeah. as we know it. Um, and it was actually uh, based off the idea of the New York Comic-Con, which was the first official Comic-Con. Um don't think they used the name Comic-Con at the time. I think it was just a New York comic convention. Um, and it was more based on uh, uh, comic books, DC. And at the time, Marvel was uh, barely entering the market. So um, that's where they had originally got the idea from. Yeah, I think the, orig the original name for the current Comic-Con that we're referred to often was a Golden State Comic Book Convention. Yeah. And then over the, the course of a few years, it just became shortened to Comic-Con. Sometimes they call it San Diego Comic-Con. Sometimes it's SDCC. But, be, you know, huge, huge names. Huge names are always. And it just draws, I think, it, it gets somewhere upper now. I mean, I think, you know, about 150,000 people attend oh, easy. the, the three-day event. It, easily. I mean, um, they actually, I don't know if you know this, but Palm Springs has its own Comic-Con now. Yes, yeah. Uh, it started, uh, I think, about five, six years ago. Um, and uh, they actually get up into the hundreds. Uh, for a small town like Palm Springs, <laughs> it's... It doubles the population. It, it really does. Um, people actually come from out of state and out of the country to come, and they get big names. They've had everybody from Robert England to... Uh, um, Robert England, for those who don't know, he was a character who played Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I mean, they, they get... Uh, a lot of famous people come to the Palm Springs Comic Con just like they do the San Diego Comic Con. So it, it isn't a singular event anymore. It isn't something where you have to wait for the San Diego Comic Con to come around. Yeah. They're starting to pop up all over. It's yeah. starting to become a huge event. Well, yeah, I mean, the original Comic Con in San Diego, I mean, I did, I, it obviously proved that it's a moneymaker. I think the last, uh, they did an annual uh, regional economic impact and it averages about $150 million. A year. Oh wow! So they they draw. I mean, you know, it's 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 amazing. They they do western. They have a horror, anime, manga, uh, video games. I mean, etc. There's just so yeah, much you, that goes on. There's they, panels, and I think this year they're going to be having the Star Trek universe, his dark materials, Utopia, the boys, Superstore. So you know they're gonna have you know you know a lot of Q and As and you know things of that nature. So it's always a big event uh, yeah. when people go. I've never been personally. Um, I do would like to go. I don't know if that'll ever be possible now, but it's 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 something that I know that a lot of people uh, enjoy. Yeah, and you would think me being such a huge fan of everything that you just named that I would have gone to San Diego Comic Con, no. but I haven't gone either. Believe it or not, I've always wanted to. I just haven't had the chance. Um, the one thing that you did leave out uh, right now that is huge in San Diego Comic Con as well as Palm Springs Comic Con and and all the different events that they're having, is uh, cosplay. The, oh, yeah, a lot of cosplay. Yeah, yes. costume uh, play. Uh, true. I mean, uh, I went to 
last Halloween, I went to Riverside to a horror comic con. It was just strictly horror. Uh, obviously for Halloween, they did a zombie run, which I did participate in. Uh, and I actually got, they were, you were supposed to get to four different places and then back home, I actually got to three and then I got tagged out on the fourth one, which I'm really <laughs> proud uh, because I'm not the type that exercises or runs very often. Um, but, uh, it was, a huge event. I wasn't expecting as many people to be there that was there. Um, but you actually had people there that were doing cosplay who were from New York, Arizona, Oregon, Mississippi. Uh, and they were all part of what they call the Umbrella Corporation. And for anybody who doesn't know what the Umbrella Corporation is, it is a fictional group that's based off of the... Uh, video games as well as the movies of Resident Evil. Right. Um, and these guys are legit. Yeah. I'm talking about, they. I thought they were cops when I seen them for the first time. <laughs> they got walkie-talkies, they got shields, uh, um, badges is what I'm saying, uh, is what I mean when I say shields. They got bulletproof vests, they got guns that look real. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy. Oh, they're, they're very invested. I mean, oh, they're, extremely they're invested. invested. Yeah. And they even had a, a group of the Ghostbusters. Uh, there was a guy from Canada who runs a whole Ghostbuster crew in Canada. He came down for oh, that wow. event. Yeah, uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, yeah, it's great. I I did get a chance to, a couple times ago. Do we have one in Long Beach? Because I now live in Los Angeles. We have one in Long Beach that I'll go to every once in a while because that, that also has my favorite topic, which is baseball cards and football cards. Um, but I've never been to the one in San Diego. So maybe one year we'll get a chance um, – to be able to just have a booth and talk to a lot of the people who have been going. Uh, it's such an iconic part of collecting. That Absolutely. I, that I think that <clears throat> it would be great to be able to Which, participate. By the way, when I did go to that Riverside uh, uh, Horror Con, uh, I went because, well, my sister was supposed to go, but for some reason she couldn't. Um, so she gave me the tickets. I ended up going with my wife. Um, I'm glad I did because it was probably one of my best moments ever when it came to collecting certain autographs yeah i was able to get tony todd oh, who wow. yeah if anybody knows who he is that's mr Candyman himself <laughs> uh i was able to get autographs from uh the people who came out in uh um uh, what's the name of that movie uh, uh oh god i'm already house of a thousand corpses i'm sorry excuse me for not remembering but house of a thousand corpses um Night of the Demons, which is a family favorite. Uh, for <laughs> yeah. some reason, we were raised on horror movies our whole lives from when we were kids. Right. And Night of the Demons is uh, one of those movies that basically me as well as all my uncles, aunts, and cousins have all seen it. And we all imitate the lines from that movie. Um, but one of my favorite moments um, was when I got to actually meet, take pictures with, and get an autograph from Linda Blair herself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, from The Exorcist, uh, oh. which is kind of what launched me into the horror genre. Uh, when we were kids, we saw that movie, uh, became instantly became one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And because of that, I've been a horror fan my entire life. Uh, so that was just an awesome experience. I was able to collect uh, probably about eight signatures that day from different uh oh wow uh yeah from different uh, uh movie stars and characters and 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 so on from all the different movies and and so on so it was an exciting moment for me um to be able to to get you know especially tony todd and linda blair's autographs 
Yeah, I'm sure it must have been a big uh, a big event for you. Yes, it was. So some of the other things that we saw in the news this week was uh, I saw a Super Mario's Brother for auction. Oh, really? Super Mario Brother cartridge that was issued for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES system. Um, You're talking about the the original uh, the Super original, Mario Brothers, right? For, the original for the Super NES, Mario okay. Brothers, yeah, that came out, I believe, in 1985. So um, it, it, I believe it auctioned off and ended uh, sometime uh, this weekend, a little over $114,000. Wow. It's original casing. So what I guess what made this special is that at some point, uh, when as, as Super Mario Brothers and the Nintendo system itself became very popular here in the United States, they started to use shrink wrap. To package the cartridge. Yeah. Well, prior to that, uh, I guess they used a different type of packaging, and this had a pull tab. Yeah, they uh, used a seal. They used a seal. That's correct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it, it sold for about one hundred and fourteen thousand. I mean, I mean, dust off your old Nintendo games, right? I mean, this is is insane. Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the other reasons that it was. And that it sold for that much and why it was as important as it is, it was actually graded a 9.5. That's correct. correct? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Which no. for, uh, I believe the company is called uh, Wada Games, and they do basically what like PSA does. Right. They okay. take video games, they grade them based on yes. uh, condition and, and so on. Um, but a 9.5, even for card collecting, autographs, oh, that, absolutely. It, it, that's high. That's as close as to perfect as you're going. As to you're get. going to get. Yeah. I, I don't think in, in all my time collecting, I've ever seen a perfect ten on anything, even in the best of conditions. So nine point five is pretty good. Yeah, well, especially then at the time. I mean, we, you know, we, we, you and I, I think I bought. What did I buy? An yeah, you had a Nintendo. Yeah, you. I did. bought that. I, well, I started working in eighty seven. I think I bought it like around eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah. Because our cousin Mike, he had a system before me. Yeah. His dad bought him a system, so I wanted one. And I remember having that game. I mean, I, we were. It was, I mean, that was, we we started to define what video game addiction was. I mean, I would just come home from work or from school, and we would play that game all the time. Yeah, it was between that and Duck Hunt. Yeah, remember, remember yeah. Duck Hunt? Actually, you know what? I think <laughs> Duck Hunt, Mario Brothers, and uh, Gyroscope. If I'm not mistaken, that's the name of the game. I think those were three of the very first. Uh, cartridges ever made yeah. that were put out with the original NES system. Did we did we ever figure out the science to blowing into the cartridge to make it work? Or, <laughs> I, you know why, what? Why, why did we do? Why did anybody do that? I, I have no idea. As I've gotten older, people I find that people did the exact same thing. I mean, this was, was it wasn't like people talked to. There was no internet. There was no cell phone. We weren't texting each other. Just instinctively, we all just decided oh, to blow into and, the cartridge. And, and everybody had their own technique. Yeah. It, it wasn't just about blowing into the cartridge. Some people would just blow into it. Some people would put it under their T-shirt and blow into it. Some people would thought that if you blew from one side to the other, <laughs> specifically back and forth, like you were playing a harmonica, for some reason, everybody's method seemed to work for them. Right. Everybody had a different method, but it all was the same result. Right, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, and all it really was was the fact that there was bugs in the system. It didn't have anything... Oh, yeah, us. absolutely, yeah. It had nothing to do with us blowing into anything. Yeah. I mean, just besides the fact that we had that game on for about 17 hours a day. Straight, yeah. yeah you know, and it was probably overheating and melting... Exactly. ...what components that I had mean, inside the cartridge. You're, you're talking about uh, one of the earliest systems uh, outside of Atari and ColecoVision. Yeah. Um, uh, 
and even as advanced as that was to us back in those days anyway, um, they still had a lot of bugs and kinks they had to work yeah, out. Right. But us geniuses at 15 years old, 10 years old, we thought blowing into a cartridge and loading it up with spit was going to be the difference between it playing right and not playing right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess this particular Super Mario Brothers cartridge in its box had something called a cardboard hang tab. That was underneath the plastic. And I mm -hmm. guess that, that all that was still intact. As you said, it was a 9.5 graded. And um, and and it ju it's, it's just mind-boggling that, you know, we've talked a lot about how we've seen record numbers for baseball cards and memorabilia. But every week we continue to see just in collections in general, it continues to grow. We see there's a vast number of of people who are interested and who are purchasing oh, yeah. large, large oh, amounts yeah. of, you know, it's, it's it, insane. It, it, this all goes back to our first podcast that me and my brother did. Uh, you know, a lot of you who've been following us and who are uh, following us on, on the different platforms, Spotify, iTunes, and so on. Um, once again, I want to thank you for, for listening and, and, and uh, following us and, and making us an every week listen. Um, but we talked about that in our first uh, podcast when we introduced what the show was going to be about and and so on. There's just so many venues in collecting now. There's so many different genres of collecting. Uh, books, bobbleheads, footballs, baseballs, cards, video games, cabbage patch dolls, pogs, which originally when we were kids were called slammers, uh, baseball pins, heavy metal pins, uh 20 different varieties of collector cards from music cards to to uh, baseball cards. I mean, it's just crazy the value people put behind certain things. And because people put that value on a card and other people find interest in the same things, it can skyrocket something like a video game right. that's in that good a condition uh, that somebody feels like they have to pay $114,000 for just to have it. And he's probably never going to play the game, which I personally wouldn't, uh, to be honest with you. I got a lot of collector's items from Star Wars to, to, to uh, comic books that the way they came in the package is exactly how I left them. I've never opened it, never touched them, put them on the shelf, left it there. Right. So I, I, I think you got a new magazine? Actually, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Speaking of things that I didn't open, first off, I want to thank my wife for uh, putting up with my collections that I have. <laughs> I don't think I could have found a better person to, uh, to uh, do what she does when it comes to helping me collect. Um, but recently, uh, this actually the first of this month, uh, Robert Kirkman who, uh, if anybody doesn't know who Robert Kirkman is, he's the creator of the graphic novels of The Walking Dead uh, that were published through Image Comics, uh, which later on became a TV series on AMC. And it's based off the character Rick Grimes, who uh, wakes up after having an accident and uh, is in a post-apocalyptic zombie world. Um, so anybody who follows the show knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm a huge zombie fan. I always have since I was a kid. And so in The Walking Dead, there's characters who uh, are evil, bad guys. Just like for every protagonist, there's an antagonist in every story. Uh, there's everybody from the governor to the whispers to the wolves. Um, but I think the most famous uh evil guy in the Walking Dead uh, universe and the guy that a lot of people couldn't wait till he came out on the show um, from re having read the books uh, 
is a character named Negan, who's played by uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan in the show. Now, Negan, uh, in the graphic novels, not as, not so much in the TV show, because, of course, they got to make it, uh, you know, uh, watchable for kids and families and stuff. But in the books, when they say graphic novels, they're not joking around. And Negan takes graphic to a whole nother level, from using his bat Lucille to... You know, cracking open, uh, I know a lot of people know what I'm talking about when they when he cracks open Glenn's head, uh, who was uh, Maggie's husband. I mean, this guy is the Darth Vader of the Walking Dead universe. So uh, recently, Robert Kirkman and one of his artists uh, put out a one-shot Negan Lives uh, book that came out July 1st, and it is a continuation story from where... Negan last left off, which was in book 174 of the Walking Dead series, um, which uh, it's an episode where Maggie has the opportunity to finally kill Negan, but decides not to and lets him go. He wanders off into the wilderness, finds a place to kind of shelter in place, and he's a broken man at this point. He's a shell of the evil man that he was at one time. Um, and this one shot is a continuation of that story. Uh, and for a lot of people who are like me, who are saddened by the fact that the Robert Kirkman finally ended the book series on, uh, book number 193. Um, so I was kind of hoping that he was going to come out with something again. Um, I didn't think it was going to be anything that had to do with Negan. I thought it was just going to be a spinoff of maybe like one of the, uh, 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 leaders that ended like Carl or Maggie or somebody like that. Uh, so I was very happy to see that he came out with this Negan Lives book. Uh, and he didn't just make the book just to put it out there to see how much he could sell. He actually did it for a really special cause. Um, because of COVID-19 and the fact that a lot of small businesses, especially comic book shops, who depend on people going in there every week to continually buy their books that they love, their comics that they love. Um, he actually did it, and he did it so that whoever he sent these books to, the comic shops, would get to keep 100% of the proceeds and profits of all these books. So he sent the red cover, uh, which is the one I got, and on top of that, he sent two silver metallic or aluminum covers, as well as one gold metallic aluminum cover. And... The books were originally $4.99 if you bought them right away, but since they have now uh, entered the market and they're about a week and a half old, uh, luckily for me, my wife was able to get me two of them. Uh, one of them I kept in its uh, plastic cover. It's never going to be opened until the end of time. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one, I was uh, I opened it up so that I could read the story because i got to read my comics. There's just no way you're going to stop me from doing that. Um that one is probably going for about from four ninety nine to about twenty to fifty bucks. That's just a regular uh, uh, one shot comic that he did with the red cover. Um, the silver ones are now going between anywhere from a hundred to about two hundred dollars, and the gold one, in good shape, uh, not opened, um, is going anywhere from three to five hundred dollars. And these have only been out for a week. So you can only imagine like how everybody's trying to get these. Because it's only going to go up in price. Right, absolutely. Because he did a limited series. It's a limited run. 
it's not going to be a, a six book or an eight book series like like he's done in the past or like a lot of comic uh, uh, books do where they do a six part series to see how popular it is and see if they can uh, put more comics out. He it's a one shot. He's doesn't plan on doing anything more than what he's done with the books right now. And for anybody who's really interested and uh, and uh, who thinks that they may be able to get their hands, he did what wasn't supposed to be seen, but he accidentally showed it on one of his uh, Twitter accounts. It is a red cover, metallic, aluminum cover uh, that he did that supposed to, uh, supposedly only supposed to be for him. I don't know if it's going to be something that will eventually be put out, but I can guarantee you this. If these books that got shipped out to a few hundred uh, comic book shops across the country are already going for hundreds of dollars and they've only been out a week, I guarantee you that book, if it's only a one of one, I can only imagine what the price is going to be. I, it, 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 to me, it would be priceless. You know what I mean? Right. Something like that. So Yeah, especially for know. a big time comic book collector. You know, The Walking Dead super popular. I mean, it's just a, it was a monster of a show for AMC. Um, I believe that the, the person who developed it was Frank Darabon. Yes. Yeah, he's and, and for those who don't know, he's the one who also directs uh, some of the books. For, uh, you know, we talked about Stephen King. Well, he directed some of the Stephen King books to movies, Shawshank Redemption, yeah. The Mist. Uh, he also directed The Green Mile. So, you know, he, I think he was a showrunner for the first season and a half of The yep. Walking Dead. So, it, but, you know, just it's, it was, I saw, you know, I saw probably seasons one through three. You know, it's just there's so much to see. I'm trying to catch up, but uh, yeah, it's just such a great show, very well written. I mean, uh, Andrew Lincoln. I mean, just a, a you know a tremendous amount of talent. Uh, Norman Reedus, you know, yeah. Chandler Riggs. I mean, Melissa McBride. I mean, just a ton of yeah. talent and, on that show. And uh, Norman Reedus, who uh, comes out in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Boondock Saints. Um, he actually wasn't a character in the original books. Oh, they. So did they they uh, add him into the show. Oh, I see. Uh, they wanted a maverick, wild card kind of guy, a tough guy. Uh-huh. Um, not that Andrew Lincoln didn't play a good part as Rick Grimes and being a tough guy. He's, he's He definitely fit the role of Rick Grimes. There's no doubt about that. Um, but uh, they wanted to do something different. They wanted to add characters that had not originally been in the books themselves. Norman, uh, Norman Reedus being one of them, uh, Daryl. Um, and so... Uh, uh, they have 10, season, 10 seasons of The Walking Dead now. I've seen all of them. I I was a watcher from the very first moment that I heard they were making a TV show. It premiered uh, August 31st, Halloween, 2010. From that day forward, I never missed one episode. Even if I had a call into work, <laughs> I was going to watch. That's very dedicated. Oh, I know it sounds crazy to some people, but I am a passionate person. I, I'm the kind of person that... When you debate with me, if I'm passionate about it, it's a subject that we're talking about. Yeah, I you'll know. And so, yeah, I've been watching it from the very beginning. I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of falling off as a watcher now. I've been really busy. I've got a lot of things going on. I Until COVID happened, I was working two jobs and stuff like that. So I wasn't able to keep up with the entire season 10. Yeah, it's always tough. Yeah. Um, but I'm a huge Walking Dead fan. I got the first book. Uh, that was uh, done by Robert Kirkman, uh, issue number one of The Walking Dead. That came out in 2003? 2003, yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, I just, man, I'm just so excited that I was able to get the uh, Negan Libs books. Uh, I tried to reserve them with my local 
uh, comic book store, the place that I go to, to to get all my stuff. But by the time I called them up and tried to get a hold of it, they had been sold out yeah. from yeah. who knows when, you know. So it kind of sucked, but, you know, it is what it is. I eventually got them, like I said, thanks to my wife. And uh, so that I could be a happy guy just reading that comic over and over and over again. <laughs> and uh, before I forget, though, I do want to send a shout out. Uh, last week, my brother talked about some specific cards. Uh, what were they called again? Uh, uh, Tops Project 2020. Yeah. Which which I strongly recommend. If you can get a hold of these, these are beautiful cards. I mean, some of these cards that they have are absolutely amazing. They, you know, they, they use artistry, uh, current artists that are out there, and they kind of reimagine the background with the original... Uh, I guess face setting or player, you know, whatever the player was doing. So they're they're absolutely gorgeous cards, and 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 I do. I mean, if you want to do it for the investing part, I think they're going to be. They're originally all just twenty dollars. Yeah. And there's new cards that come out featured on the Tops website every day. Yeah. And I think some of them are absolute. There's an Ichiro one, a Dwight Gooden, a Roberto Clemente. You know, they use different cards and they reimage the background. They're absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I actually got a chance to see them. Uh the reason why I brought it up is I wanted to thank uh, Joel Sendejas again, a uh, gentleman who sent us his Billy Ripping card, uh, uh, the, the the email that we got uh, yes, showing yes. us that he had his original Billy Ripping card. Right. Well, he also uh, sent us pictures of his collection of the uh, Project 2020 cards that he has collected. He has everybody from Mike Trout to, I think he has the Ichiro card as well, if I'm not mistaken. And he also has. Uh, give me a second. I'm looking it up right here. I'm gonna. Well, here's some of the. Here's the list of some of the artists that we that they used. Uh, you have Ben Baller. You have E Foot. Uh, you have Mr. Cartoon, Sophia Chang, Matt Taylor, Keith Shore. I mean, JK Five. I mean, there's just you know they're absolutely great. I mean, because you're taking a you're taking what's contemporary, some contemporary artist. And then adding that to some of the most classic, you know, 1952 Jackie Robinson, the 52 Willie Mays, yeah. the 54 Ted Williams, yeah. the 1985 Dwight Gooding, the 1984 Don Mattingly. And it just, between that, that collaboration is creating some beautiful, beautiful cards. Oh, no. They're, they're I have a couple cards. already. I'm trying to get more, they're, but they're, 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 they're gorgeous cards. Uh, you mentioned a name that I recognized uh, with the artist, uh, Mr. Cartoon. Yes. Uh, I believe he's an LA native. Yes. They did a documentary on him That's not right. too long ago. That's came right. out on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. And uh, it was about him and uh, another gentleman uh, who, both born in LA, yep. uh, raised on the streets. Uh, who easily could have saw their life uh, being involved in gangs and probably going nowhere, but they turned their talents into what eventually became careers, and now they make thousands of dollars uh, on paintings, uh, doing graphics on cars, uh, tattoos, uh, and for high-profile celebrities, too. Not just uh, your average Joe Schmo like me who goes in for right. an arm sleeve. You're talking about guys like Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Dr. Dre. Um, Sant, Kobe Bryant. I mean, they've, Travis yeah. Barker. I mean, Bow Wow. Well, they, they, they've Justin done... Timberlake, Beyonce knows. They've done some really high-profile celebrity tattoos and artistry for these people. Uh, paintings that they've done that hang up in these uh, celebrities' homes as well, too. But uh, let me just give you a really quick rundown on Joel's cards that he's collected because uh, they're beautiful cards. Especially, I, I love the one that I like the most is the Mark McGuire card that he has, uh, that has the American flag yes. in the background, yes. but he's got the Mark McGuire, 
He's got a, a Mike Trout. He's got a Ricky Henderson. He's got the uh, Derek Jeter, which he has actually two Derek Jeters. Uh, one of them is Derek Jeter with the uh, bat. And then another one is uh, Derek Jeter with like some kind of New York graffiti logo mm -hmm. uh, in the background. And he's got the King Griffey Jr., and they're just gorgeous cards. I, me personally, like I've said before, I'm not a huge card collector, but I really, really like the way these cards look. And I'm actually thinking about going out to look, uh, to find them, to see if I can collect them. Not so much for the investment, but just to add to my personal card collection. Yeah, I, I think that the challenge of any company that's been around, like Tops, they've been around, you know, since the early 1950s. I think 1951 was their first set that they they issued out. Uh, obviously, they've been around, around a long time. The baseball card market specifically is very competitive. So, you know, they're always looking for the challenge of how can we stay relevant and create new material, new product that people can stay interested in. And I think this is it right here. I think the Project 2020 is one way that they've been able to stay relevant and, and generate more, you know, news. You know, people are looking, okay, what's going on? And this is this is what's new in baseball card collecting. And I really like it. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's really cool to see that companies like, especially companies like Tops who've been around forever, um, they continually find ways to stay relevant. Um, and then they use artists, like you said, uh, that are currently relevant right now to a younger generation. Um, they want to be able to not just sell to guys like us who are in our 40s, and who we've always collected stuff, but to try and gain the interest of the 15-year-old kid who doesn't necessarily know about collecting cards um, because it isn't as popular anymore. You know, uh, I've always said this. The Internet is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind and the worst thing that ever happened to mankind because it allowed us to have information at the palm of our hands. At the same time, it's also allowed the new generation of children to not go out and explore the way we did when we were kids. You know, so things like baseball card collecting, unless you're with your mom at the supermarket or in a place where there may be a comic book shop or a card shop near you, uh, kids don't necessarily go to the store like we did when we were kids where a group of right. friends would just leave the house. Hey, mom, I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back before, you know, the sun goes down. I'm going to be with so-and-so. We're going to go take a walk to the mall real quick. Kid kids don't really do that a whole lot nowadays. They basically sit behind their, you know, tablets and phones and in their rooms or whatever. And, you know, so uh, doing things like Project 2020 with these baseball cards and, and using artists that these kids know to try and get kids interested. I think that's really awesome that Tops and, and companies are, are doing things like that. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah, so, so if you get a chance and you're into collecting or you want to start collecting again, you want I, I like I suggested last week, the Tops uh, Project 2020 is a great start. Yeah. Um. So, are you ready for a feel-good story? I am. Like you said, I am always ready for a feel-good right. story. So I got a really good feel-good story. I'm going to be calling on a uh, guest speaker. Okay who's going to tell us a story about a 15-year-old kid in the late 80s who did something really noble, and it probably hurt him to do it, but he knew what he needed to do, and because of that, uh, he was able to help somebody out that needed the help. Oh, wow. Okay. So let's see if we can get this person on the phone really quick. We are calling the individual now. 
Now he's aware you're going to call him, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> They're supposed to know. Hello? Hey, what's up, Mom? Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mom. You want to say hi to your other son? Yes, good afternoon to both of my handsome sons. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Mom. I didn't know. Yeah, we didn't have to uh, pay my mom to say that. Uh, she just genuinely no. thinks we're handsome guys. You I always say my sons are handsome and my daughters are beautiful, yeah. no matter yeah. what. And I'm not the type to argue, so, you know, okay. <laughs> so, uh, last week, Richard told a really awesome uh, uh, feel-good story about two brothers who went out of their way to uh, sell cards to be able to help a uh, kid um, in a situation where... Uh, so, so they were raising money for COVID-19. That's right, for COVID-19. Right. So they donated some of the money to food banks or to buying... Uh, mask and different, you know, PPE that, you know, uh, local hospitals needed. Yeah, so um, that reminded me of another feel-good story that me and my mom talked about last week. And uh, it was something that I really wanted to bring up. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and let my mom take over. And she's going to tell you uh, exactly what happened. So go ahead, mom. Okay. Well, you I don't know if you remember, Richard, but... We barely had moved into the house on Linda Flora in June of 87. And I wanted to get like on the average plan payment for the electricity. But they told me I had to wait towards the end of the year, the beginning of the year, to see how I would pay the bill. But in order for me to get on that average plan payment, I had to pay the final bill. And I didn't expect it to come out so much. It was, and this had to be like at the beginning of or middle of 1988. It, you must have been about 14, 15. It was kind of like a, a balloon payment, right, Mom? Uh, where they stick you with a large sum of money that you got to pay at the end, yes, right? Okay. Yes, because if you don't pay it at the end, you're in big trouble. And I didn't know about that. So I got the big bill and I was so worried. I didn't know where I was going to get the money from. But Richard saw how worried I was, and I was panicking, so he asked me what was wrong, and I told him. So he told me, don't worry, Mom, I'll get you the money you need. And I'm like, how? And he's like, oh, we're going to go sell some of my baseball yeah, cards. And I'm right. like, no, Richard, those are your baseball cards. And you're like, Richard's like, I'm not going to sell the good ones, but I am going <laughs> to get you the money for some of them. Typical remember brother. that, Richard? I do remember, yes, Mom, I do remember. Okay. And remember there used to be that sports case here in India? Yes, yes I do. And we went over there and the guy sees a young kid coming through the door. I mean, if you were 14, 15, you guys have always had faces looking younger than your age. And when you start telling him, how much would you give me for this one? And he was like, only this. And then you're like, no, because this is worth so much. And it's so and so. And he would look at you. And then you, I think you saw like maybe about four or five of them. And he tried to like trick you out of everything. But you knew so much. And you knew what they were actually worth. And he bought them from you. And we got the money. But by the time we left that case, he was mad-dogging you because <laughs> he thought he was going to be able to chase the young kid that didn't know anything. Little did he know. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. wanted, I know I thanked you at that time, but still all these years later, I'll never forget because you got me out of a situation that 
was going to be impossible for me because I didn't have anybody to help me out. But you, at that age, you helped me get out of a situation at that time. Well, so I say thank you and I love you for doing it. <laughs> well, thanks, Mom. Thanks for telling the story. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Mom. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, bye. Bye. Yeah, I do remember that specifically. Uh, we went to, yeah, I had got a ton of baseball, basketball, football cards, but I was least attached to the basketball cards. And so this, I must have had, I don't know, I think the majority of them ranged between 1978 to about 1982. I, I sold a little bit more than a few. I sold about 10. And it was a, it was worth about a few hundred dollars at that time. This is nineteen eighty eight, I think it was. Yeah, it was about that time. Yeah. So who knows what they what they would have been worth now? Which is fine. I mean, we did what we had to do, but I do remember that incident. Do you remember specifically what cards they were? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had uh, some. Uh, I know I sold a rookie card of. Um, I want to say it was of Earl Monroe. Yeah, I remember Earl Monroe. Um, some Will Chamberlain's. Oh wow! Uh, Doctor J. You know, wow. just some popular. Oh you know, yeah, some, uh, some popular people at that time that were. You know, I mean, this obviously predates. Um, you know, you know, I didn't have too many of the Michael Jordan cards that became. You know, what they are today. Yeah. You know, I probably have a couple of them, uh, but at that time, I, yeah, I just got rid of some of the ones that I thought that well, you know, well, we needed money. What can we do? We needed to, you know to to <laughs> to have a house and and utilities. So yeah, I mean, I. I I'm a year younger than my brother, uh, so if he was 14, 15, I must have been like 13. Um, obviously, at that time, my mom wasn't going to explain to me what was going on, even if I would have understood her. Um, I kind of remember that situation, but I don't at the same time. Uh, but the other day when I was at my mom's house, we talked about that, and I was like, yeah, this is a story I got to tell because, number one, it's a, it's about cards. Yeah. And that's what the show's based on is uh, collecting. Uh, it's about my brother, uh, and it's a to me, it's a feel good story. You know, it may have just affected our family specifically, but he came through in a moment for his family. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who listen to us who've done the same thing or know somebody who's done the same thing for maybe their family or friends who who uh, they had something that was valuable, but they saw that what it would be worth more to help out a family member or a family friend than it would be to keep that certain piece of memorabilia um, to help somebody out of a situation. And then like my mom said, you know, we'll always thank you for that because had that not happened, who knows what situation, you know, we would have been in, you know, but by uh, God's good grace, uh, my brother happened to be a collector at the time, even at that young age. And, I mean, now that I think about it, I'm thinking, man, Will Chamberlain and Dr. J, yeah, those cards, the, depending on what type of cards they were, they might have been worth a lot of money right now. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but, yeah, I, I, I do remember that, and, and I'm sure, like you said, a lot of people in our audience, if people want to email us with their stories of how they use collecting to help somebody out, I mean, we would love to hear those stories and, and maybe even talk to a couple of people um, oh, yeah. If we can give the email address. Yeah, our email address is collectme7374 at gmail.com. Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome if you guys can email us uh, and send us pictures, stories that we can read online, or if you want to, you know, uh, uh, 
give us a call and share your stories uh, and so on. We would more than welcome uh, situations like that. Uh, that's what this show is about. We want you guys to feel that you're not just listening to us, but you're a part of the show itself. Right. You know what I mean? Because even though me and my brother are the ones doing the podcast, we have something in common with a lot of you. We're all collectors. And so it would be awesome to hear you guys' stories um, of things that you've done, ways you've helped other people, or stories that you've heard of people helping people. It would be really cool. And I do remember that gentleman. He, I think, you know, I do. I remember getting the feeling of this guy because I think he wanted to offer me like a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars for my whole basketball collection. Yeah, which entailed hundreds of cards from the nineteen, I guess, in the nineteen seventies and the early eighties. Yeah. And I was like, there's just no way that's going <laughs> to... I remember yeah. thinking at that age, even then, like, I'm not going to do that. I, I mean, I, I should give a big shout out and thanks to Beckett. Beckett is the one that really helped uh, form you know, a lot of my knowledge and understanding. There yeah. was a, I, I used to buy a magazine called Sports Cards. And that had the four different... You know, It had one for hockey, one for baseball, basketball. And then uh, they're the ones who also provided a lot of... They're, they're no longer around, unfortunately. I don't think they are. I haven't seen that magazine in many, many years. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, but I used to go every month looking for the sports card magazine. I think I started buying those around 86, probably about to the, about 50, until about the mid-1990s. So, yeah, so it was... It, uh, I didn't know that that story was going to happen, so it just was a surprise to me. <laughs> All right, so Chris... I was looking at some Phil Jackson cards. Okay. Um, interesting story. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're very familiar with Phil Jackson. Absolutely. Uh, they call him the Zen Master. Yep. Uh, what I think what many people may not know about Phil Jackson was that, um, you know, he, he originally was interested in baseball. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So when he was about uh, in the sixth grade, his family moved him to uh, North Dakota. Okay. North Dakota. And around, uh, let's see, he must have been around 16. And he tell, some, I've heard him you know, say where he's been. He was he followed that Roger Maris home run uh, title that he, you know, he got in 1961. Uh, so he was a big baseball fan. In fact, some one of his friends, who's a longtime friend and was even some of his teammates, uh, or his teammate in high school, said that if, if he had to guess back then what sport Phil Jackson was going to be famous for it was going to be baseball. Really? Yeah, that that that's how much Phil wow. Jackson was into baseball. Uh, you're talking about the guy who created the triangle and it won championships. <laughs> yes. Well, at one time uh, he also. So I think that's kind of why I think when Michael when Michael Jordan left that the Bulls after that first trilogy of championships, um, he kind of understood. You know, why, you know, and if you ever get a chance to see the docu the 30 for 30 documentary called uh, He Rode the Bus With Us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great documentary about yes, how Michael Jordan and how, you know, he rode the bus with everybody. He went to, you know, he followed all the rules because his heart was into playing baseball, but he was really doing it because his dad was a big baseball fan. And that's Michael Jordan. But Phil Jackson also was raised as a big baseball fan. But the interesting story is that he was a pitcher. Really? Yeah, he was a pitcher. So when he's he was out of high school, he was about six six, and as he as he uh, he was transitioning from high school into college, I, I believe he went to the University of North North Dakota. Um, he played at some amateur leagues, and in fact, um, 
by the time he was in those amateur leagues and he started uh, college, he was already 6'8". God dang, yeah. So, I mean, he was a big yeah. unit before Randy Johnson was. Yeah, that's unit. all I was going to say. Big unit is exactly what came to mind. So, uh, yeah, so, and, but, you know, and as, at first he was very wild. Very, very wild. Of course, the coaches worked with him. There, he got to a point where he did get better as he got older. Um, and then ultimately, where he was striking out a lot of people. Now, he did still walk a lot of people, but he did strike out a lot of people. And in fact, one of the people who was interested in and Phil Jackson as a pitcher was the Dodgers. Really? Yes. Uh, one of the scouts for the Dodgers uh, was interested in signing Jackson uh, to a minor league contract at that time. I'm stunned right now. Yeah. I'm totally stunned. Yeah. So, and so, but unfortunately, as time went on, you know, he was working, he had to work his way, you know, as he was pitching and he was trying to go to college. He was also working. It was around that time he realized that he really kind of, you know, he really, his desire and his passion ultimately was shifting from baseball to, to basketball. But, uh, and in fact, that during that time, when I think he was at about 20, 21, he was coaching a little league team. And he coached them into the to the championship. Are you kidding? No, that's so. This guy literally has won championships on every <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah, even at that age. Um, and so, uh, what, but you want you know what the crazy thing is? Uh, you know, one of the one of the batters that he was able to face. Now, granted, this was towards the much later end of his career, but he hit a double off Satchel Page. Oh wow! Yeah, so can you imagine Satchel Paige, one of the greatest... The Satch. Yeah, the, one of the greatest Negro League pitchers that have ever existed now is facing a very young Phil Jackson. And so I, I, according to what I've read and heard, he, I mean, obviously Satchel Paige wasn't pitching. You know, he pitched almost 40 years yeah. in professional sports. And for those who don't know, Satchel Paige would travel oftentimes, even with carnivals, and he would he would pay people would pay to face him. And, and I and I, I wish I had the money, but I once saw a carnival poster that featured Satchel Page, where you could pay. Oh my God, that would have been awesome! Yeah, to pay to, to play because he, he was in a. Sometimes he'd get into a contract dispute with uh, the the ball clubs, and uh, he felt like he he needed to earn more money. I don't blame him. That's not one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Oh, absolutely. So uh, so it was very good. I mean, I can only imagine what that must have that moment must have been like when Phil Jackson's like, okay, so I have. You know, because Satchel Page was already Satchel Page by the time Phil yeah. Jackson was around. Yeah. You know, you know uh, and so it, it was. It, I just wanted to tell the story because I thought that was so interesting. It is interesting. I mean, I'm kind of stunned right now because I, you hear stories about sports figures, and they will talk about you know that they played you know baseball they did this or they did that like the long gone summer that just came out on the 30 for 30 talked about mark mcguire started off as a pitcher as well but when he was young they found out he could hit and he became a hitter his whole life but he's always just played baseball right you know what i mean and that's usually the way it goes but you know who knew phil jackson was actually wanted to be a baseball player and played and almost got drafted by the dodgers yeah he was he was very serious about baseball as he was about basketball but like i said it was just through the wear and tear of the long seasons and pitching and you know i think he decided which you know he ultimately you know so he spent that one of his last years i think his senior year rather than playing baseball he went and kind of hung out with a lot of the people because he got drafted i think in 1967 
Mm-hmm. That's when he got drafted by the Knicks. Uh, you know, and same year as Pat Riney and yeah. Earl Monroe, as a matter of fact, um, was during that 1967 draft. And of course, he went on to win uh, a championship with, with Walt, the Knicks with, yeah. Walt, Walt, with the Knicks in 1973 with Walt Frazier. Uh, so, uh, but you want you want to know the name of one of the name of the teams of the American League? I mean, the, yeah, was it called the American League Legion? I think, or something of that nature. But one of the amateur teams that he pitched for. Want to take a guess? I don't know. The Mobridge Lakers. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That <laughs> You can't write this stuff. Like, that. I mean, just the – okay. So he's a young kid pitching. <laughs> one of the teams he played wow. for was the Mobridge Lakers. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's just – that blows my mind because not only did he eventually coach the Lakers, took them to championships, um – and was almost drafted by the Dodgers, so LA was just calling him. Period. Yeah. But he went and played with an amateur team called the Lakers. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes, uh, at times, he would kind of give the Chicago White Sox owner at that time back in the nineties. He just like, hey, if you ever need a coach on the off season, I'll be happy to do it. But obviously, he was just joking around with them. But yeah, so that's a that's a that's an interesting Phil Jackson. I, that I was, is interesting. Well, because I was looking up some cards and I remember different stories. You know, I had I had seen some cards that were going pretty high for Phil Jackson again because related to the Last Dance. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, documentary. So a lot of his uh, memorabilia also is going up. Yeah, so, a, lot, a lot of things because of the last dance. Uh, Dennis Rodman cards, Michael Jordan cards, Scottie Pippen cards. A lot of them are going up. Um, they're they're becoming relevant again. Yeah. But uh, man, you you just gave me a lot of little fun facts that I had no <laughs> idea about. I, I I mean, it's not that I don't do my research before we do the shows. I obviously do. I want to know what it is that we're talking about, but. Yeah, you just kind of stunned me right now. You know that that not so much because he played baseball and then ended up coaching and playing basketball, which a ton of people have done. Yeah, but the whole scenario—it just seems like it was his destiny to become uh, a sports guy. Period. Right. You know what I mean? Whether it would have been in baseball, basketball, or whatever, you know, and and the whole idea that he played for a minor league team called the Lakers and event like I said eventually went and coached the Lakers coached the late Kobe Bryant Shaquille O'Neal you know and and those guys too uh uh, five championship rings uh and uh also one with the Knicks uh I believe as a coach as well as a player yes um and then coached the Bulls to the six championships I mean man Phil Jackson is he he ha- he's earned his name. The match comes oh, in. I mean, there's no doubt about I it. I already put him in the basketball world as probably one of the greatest coaches outside of college coaches uh, who made a name for themselves, um, like you know Bobby Knight and right. and Wooten and guys like that. Um, I put Phil Jackson definitely at the top of the list in the NBA, uh, next to Pat Riley and Popovich and guys like that. But it just seems like every time I hear something about Phil Jackson, his legend just keeps to build and build and build more and more and more. Yeah. You know, he just he just keeps adding things to the list of what makes him a great, not just a great coach, but a great sports mind. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, he definitely, you know, I, 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 he has a lot to teach. And I think anybody who has a privilege to be able to, you know, I've heard many stories from Kobe, you name it, all down the line where, you know, his impact on them, just not even within the sports, but just as a person, how he helps you to develop certain, you know, abilities and instincts and knowledge. You know, he's, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. Master hey, of Zen. It, it, exactly. That's what I was about to say. It, it, the name Zen Master is now, in my mind, <laughs> completely fitting <laughs> because it just, you know, you it it's rare when you come upon these guys in sports who are not just good at the sport they played because there's hundreds of guys over the years who were good at what they did in every respective sport. But there's a handful of guys in all sports, just a handful, who from when they were five years old, starting in sports, just achieved and achieved and achieved so many goals and became what people can consider to be the greatest in their sport, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I say sport mind... I'm not just talking about being a good coach. There's been a lot of good coaches. I'm talking about guys whose intelligence level is far and above other coaches and is what also helps them become so successful at what they do and so successful at winning championships. Yeah. Um, because I know the flavor of the game and sports has changed a lot um, where rings aren't what people consider greatness anymore. And there's an argument there to be had. I know me and my brother could talk about that for a long, long time. Right. I'm an old school guy, and I don't think you're great unless you win at the top of your game. I don't think these guys start playing sports at five years old to have the most touchdowns in a season or to hit the most home runs in a season. That's important, and it's great. It makes you remembered. But these guys play to win a championship at every level. You know, so Phil Jackson, man, that just, this story just kind of, yeah, it just, it brings a whole new meaning of the way I think about the man now. Yep. So that's our show for today. Yep. We're uh, very grateful. Again, we, we as always, want to end the show just thanking our military. You know, I, I, you know, we need to thank our military. We have some of the best, both Chris and I, we've had an uncle, we've had cousins. I have a brother-in-law, you know, who was in the military. So uh, don't very, be modest. My brother served on the SS Nimitz uh -huh. in the Navy. Uh, yeah, so uh, we want to thank thank the first responders and people who are so uh, serving. We just had to reissue again last week, right? To, yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, we're having some you know issues again with COVID um, spikes, and you know, please be safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Twenty seconds. 100%, yes. You know, hundred temperature water. Try to use sanitizer. Um, we're very grateful to all the listeners and the people who have given us feedback and who email us and the callers. My mom, I didn't know that, but my mom and you know, so we're very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, and uh, just to go back to an earlier story, we were talking about Comic-Con. For those who won't be able to attend this year, who really wanted to, they're going to be running a live stream on YouTube. So you will be able to catch the Comic-Con on YouTube um, the day of the event, uh, July 23rd. And that way, uh, if you want, if you're not going to be able to go this year, but you really wanted to, but you still want to see, you know, uh, and the panel is actually out right now. Uh, who's going to be there? Uh, what it's going to be about? They usually always do it two weeks before the the Comic Con happens. They're going to keep with tradition, so everything's being put out there right now. You can look it up online. But yeah, if you want to check it out, it'll be on YouTube. Um, once again, want to thank uh, our caller, Mom. Uh, love you very much. Uh, our email is collectme at 7374 at gmail.com. Uh, we are literally just steps away from creating our Facebook page and our Instagram. I know you guys are probably wondering when we're finally going to come around to that, but me and my brother are old heads, and we're not social media savvy. Uh, we're trying to get our kids to do it for us. <laughs> yes, my daughter Lauren. So, uh, you know, but... 
once again, just thank everybody for for listening. We've almost reached the 100 listen mark. I'm assuming that after this show uh, is put out, we will be over 100 listeners. And I personally, as I, I know my brother feels the same, we were very grateful to you guys out there uh, for listening week after week and for, you know, making it, you know, uh, something where you guys are following us on the different platforms. Uh, it, it means a lot to us. It, I know it means a lot to me. Um, this has been a long time coming. I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be doing everything we can to put a show out every week uh, so that you guys constantly are in the loop on what's going on with um, not just uh, things like Comic-Con and new books that are coming out, comics and whatnot, but uh, also on the uh, value on stuff. If, and that's another thing. If you guys have questions about cards that you have, but you don't know how to obtain the information to find out what the value of your collectibles or your collections are, feel free to send us an email, and me and my brother will do everything in our power to help you guys figure out uh, what your cards are worth, what your collectibles are worth, autographs, whatever it may be. Yep. Uh, again, thank you to the doctors and nurses who do such an amazing job uh, of just serving their communities and putting themselves at risk in order to be able to help in this pandemic that we've been going on for almost five months now. So, um, you know, great job, and we're, we're really, really proud of you. So, again, thank you so much. We appreciate it, and we'll see you uh, next week. Yes, sir. We sure will. And once again, thank you very much for listening to us. You guys have yourself a very awesome day, and keep collecting. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.